Identity, Imitation of Messiah Shalom! Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of the Second Sunday of Epiphany, January 17, 2020, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Our identity is formed by our loyalties and by the company we keep. We are natural mimics, and we are ever searching for someone to imitate. Reverend David Pelegi says that the guard against a culture that wishes to assimilate everyone is to have a firm, well-established identity. Following Jesus, learning to be like him, teaches us we belong in God's family and leads us away from this corrupt world to eternal life. We invite you to visit the Artist Corner. In the Artist Corner, we introduce you to some of our talented and creative friends from around Israel. We'd like you to meet Elhanan ben Avraham, who recently completed illustrating a Hebrew-English Bible for the Bible Society of Israel. Elhanan sees his work as part of the ongoing restoration of Israel. Elhanan says, Just as the earlier period was termed the Reformation, we are now in the period to be known as the Restoration. Restoration of the land and restoration of the Jewish people to their land after 2,000 years and the restoration of the King of the Jews to his own people, Israel. This Bible is part of that restoration. To read more about Elhanan and to see samples of his work, including the Jerusalem Illustrated Bible, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Now, on to the lectionary readings. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the Lamb of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you have called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. From beginning to end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile 
and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that the Lord has spoken to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Since the oldest times in the Church of Jesus, we've stood out of respect for the reading of his gospel. So please stand with me and hear these words from the Gospel of John, taken from the first chapter, beginning with the 43rd verse. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, you would give uh, each one of us ears to hear, eyes to see. And we pray that um, your Holy Spirit will apply your word to our hearts. We pray that you will bless us through this word. We pray that you will challenge us. And Lord, if necessary, bring correction to our lives. And we submit ourselves to you under the authority of your holy word. And Lord, we ask this for your sake, the sake of Jesus the Messiah. Amen. So last week... Um, for those of you who were here, for those 
eight and a half people out there who do listen to this broadcast every Sunday. Uh, and we're very grateful uh, for you eight and a half folks. And we hope in the near future to go up to 10 or 11 uh, viewers per week. But for those who were here, um, we did speak uh, from the passage of Mark chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus. And the passage became a, largely a, uh, you might say, a talk uh, about um, identity and uh, what it is entailed in identity and how that voice uh, gave Jesus an identity or affirmed an identity for Jesus uh, when he went into the waters of the Jordan River. Well, I had many uh, comments and many questions, and um, I think what I'd like to do is to try to take today's passage from John chapter 1 and try to answer some of those questions. And um, let's just begin, I think, with the urgent, urgent need, yes, to make sure that we as believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, yes, have a, a very firm and clear identity. And we might say that we live in a day when there is a huge amount of identity theft and we, we understand identity theft is when someone hacks into our computer and steals our passwords and our credit card uh, and even more and, and oftentimes parades, uh, uses our uh, information uh, in order to uh, scam a, a government or to run up charges on our uh, credit card. And of course, that kind of identity theft is very frustrating and uh, really quite serious, but there's a spiritual identity theft that's taking place on, on such a, a massive scale that I don't know we've ever seen anything like this uh, in the history of uh, the human family. Let's just start with a, a story I read, or a, you might say a, an article I read by a Christian therapist, some guy in Colorado, and he said that he had spent thousands and thousands of hours counseling Christians, talking to them about uh, their difficulties and, and their struggles. And the, the person doing the interview asked, well, is there something co common in all of this? Or do you see something that, uh, that is prevalent? And he said, absolutely. He said, so many of the people that I see would be much healthier, a lot more whole, and actually holier if they actually had a better grasp of their identity in Christ, of who they are, actually who, the, who we are made in God's image and who we are in, uh, in Christ. And he says, because people fail, yes, to have this understanding or to internalize, yes, the truth of uh, what God has done for us, he said, I'm, I have a very thriving thriving practice. And part of what I think uh, contributes to this, especially uh, in our day and age, is that committed Christians in virtually, I think, every country in the world, even nominal Christian countries, committed Christians were a minority. Yes. And oftentimes, not often, frequently, almost always, a minority will absorb or we will pick up 
yes, the, uh, the influence of the majority. And oftentimes, a majority has a very critical, uh, has a critical stance, has a lot of criticism, yes, towards a minority. And many times, uh, minorities like us will absorb that criticism and will turn it into a reality. For example, this happened to the Jewish people in Europe. People in Europe for hundreds of years said the Jews are lazy, they're cowards, they'll never be farmers, and they certainly will never be soldiers. Yes, and Jewish people uh, up until recently went around sort of repeating that. Oh, we're not the fighting type, we're not the type to engage in agriculture. Of course, the modern state of Israel has disproved that. But still, it's something that Jewish people absorbed, or African Americans, yes, absorbed the critique of the majority. It was a racist critique. And so we have to be careful, yes, that we don't allow, whether it's the media or the opinion of the, of the, of the majority, yes, to tell us who we are, to define who we are. Secondly, we live in an age where there is a very aggressive very hostile, you might call it, missionary culture. And they, you might say the goal of this culture is to assimilate or convert, whatever word you want to use, the holy holdouts. Those who don't think, yes, who don't engage in uh, groupthink, who don't have the same views about uh, politics or culture or music or race or sexuality, whatever that may be. And this culture, which is very powerful, is also very insecure. And it cannot allow people to have a difference of opinion. And it uh, is intent on assimilating everybody, you might say, into one, uh, into one view. These are just two examples, I think, of why we need to make sure that we have a firm, firm, well-established identity. And that identity has to be more basic, uh, more foundational, more real to us than the family in which we come from, our ethnicity, our race, our political parties, uh, the sports clubs that we, uh, that we support in this day and age more than ever before. We have to have identity. Now, how do we get identity? Because that was a question that people asked last week. What do we do? How do we get this? Yes, what's the, what, what is the how of all this? And the what of all this? Well, we get identity, as I said last week, and this comes from reading, and perhaps in an amateur way, some neurology. We get our identity is formed by what we're most attached to. Yes, if we're most attached to our football club, if we're most attached to our family, if we're most attached to alcohol, yes, that attachment is stronger oftentimes than our belief system. Yes, and that will form our identity. That will tell us who we are and it will uh, tell us how we should behave. But there's something else to identity that's quite important. And I think the text that we have in front of us uh, is really helpful. And by reading this text, I believe that we'll come to a way to strengthen 
our identity in God and strengthen that identity in the Messiah. So two things. One, identity is almost always corporate, even for those people who say I'm an individual, right? And I'm all by myself in this world. Yes, when we think of ourselves and ask the question, who are we? We like to, we almost automatically think of ourselves again in some kind of group context. It could be a family, it could be a nationality, it could be an ethnicity, it might be a theology, it might be the Led Zeppelin fan club. There's many different ways, but still we're going to think of ourselves, yes, we're going to think of ourselves in a group, in a family, or, or in a some community of one kind or another. Secondly, yes, we, in terms of identity, we always, as human beings, are looking for someone to imitate. We always are looking to copy somebody. I don't know if any of those joining us have ever read the, uh, even the basic, well, I can't say it's theology, or the basic research of, uh, of a French behavioral scientist called René Girard. But René Girard, he said that uh, human beings are imitators and that basically the fundamental mechanism of human behavior is to imitate. And it's that imitation, again, imitating somebody, imitating something, that's going to, again, tell us who we are. Now, what does all this have to do with the Bible and John? Well, I think it's quite brilliant. God's Word answers, yes, these answers, questions for us that will enable us, again, to firm up our identity and to strengthen it on a regular basis. So John 1, which we read two weeks ago, Uh, before the lockdown. And here we have the prologue. It's the word that becomes flesh. Beautiful, one of the most beautiful and uh, majestic passages of Scripture. But the the purpose of the prologue, it seems to come to its pinnacle or its peak, is in verse 12, John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. The whole purpose of this gospel, uh, one of the purposes of this gospel, the gospel is to show, yes, how we can become God's children, how we can be adopted into God's family, how we can become a part of, uh, of God's community. That's belonging. This is belonging at the most basic, fundamental level. And for some of us, uh, it might be hard to grasp or it might be a conflict, but it is more important from the place that we come from. It's more important than my hometown and my high school. And it's actually a, a more important than the family or it's more important than my national identity or my sexual identity, whatever identity we've constructed for ourselves. This is absolutely, this is more than basic. And how do we become this child of God? Or how are we adopted into this family? It says that we, we become children of God, yes, because we believe in his name. Now, as we said last week, John doesn't, doesn't use the word faith. He doesn't have the word pistis in Greek. He has a form of the word belief, 
Opistus. Yes, and he uses it almost a hundred times. But he doesn't use faith as a noun. It's almost always a verb. Yes, and so for John, yes, faith or believing is something dynamic. We come into this, and we come into, you might say, our identity. We come into this family through this uh, dynamic relationship that we have. It's trusting in him or abiding with him or staying with him. Yes, that, that enables us to be adopted by God and to come into to that family. Now, this is a wonderful thing. Uh, and it's so important, I'd like to draw your attention to it, that the beginning of the gospel and virtually the end of the gospel has the same verse. You might say that they're bookends. So we read in 20, chapter 20 of John, it says, um, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, that's so central and so important. And all through John, many places in John, Jesus is talking, yes, uh, about this belief, this dynamic trust, this dynamic willingness to stay uh, connected, to abide with Jesus, to, to rest in him, to take our, you might, our, our strength from him. This is all through the gospel. Now, for many people, actually for most evangelicals, we stop there. Somehow, this is enough. This is almost the end. But if I can draw your attention to our gospel passage today, I would like to suggest, and I hope this doesn't sound like heresy, it's not enough. Okay, so let's read our passage. Our passage goes like this. It says, next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, yes, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel asked, Philip extends the invitation, come and see. Okay? Then the thing, I'm going to skip down to 49. Yes? Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Okay? And so here's Nathaniel, and Nathaniel recognizes Jesus for who he is. He's the King of Israel. He's the Son of God. Yes, he's the one prophesied. The early disciples recognized him as the Lamb of God. He's the one prophesied or foretold by Moses. That's wonderful. And you, we would think, that's great. That is a declaration of faith. That's all that we need. But actually, what does Jesus do? Jesus, like in so many other instances in John's Gospel, he kind of cuts off the conversation. People get an idea about Jesus. They sometimes get the truth, or they get part of the truth, and yet they don't ever go far enough. And Jesus has to reveal more of who he is. So it might be the story of the Samaritan woman. 
who kind of thinks he could be the Messiah. But Jesus says, I'm not only the Messiah, but I'm the one who can give you living water. Or it might be the story of the crowd at Capernaum. They want to make him king of Israel. But Jesus has to say to them, you know, I'm the bread that comes from heaven. Or it could be Mary and Martha, where they're weeping over their brother. But Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Resurrection isn't a doctrine. The resurrection is a person. So, And it goes on and on like this. So Jesus actually, it seems to me, kind of cuts Nathaniel off and says, look, that's okay. But there's something more. Yes, believing is okay. But there's, believing is essential. Faith is essential. Understanding who Jesus is properly, who he is, his Christology, his divinity is essential. By the way, why is that so essential? Because Jesus is going to talk about receiving life. Who can give life? Only God himself. Yeah, so Jesus will give life to those who enter into a relationship with him, enter into divine life. But I think the, what's important here is follow me. Yes, basically Jesus is saying, yes, you need an identity. Your identity will come from being in my family and also from imitating me. You belong to me and I want you to act and behave as I'm acting and behaving. Because according to John chapter 5, yes, Jesus says, I'm imitating God and I want you to imitate me. Now, the importance of this is that it's at the beginning of the gospel. And the only other time that Jesus says to anyone in John, follow me, is who? Peter. At the end of the, the last words Jesus recorded saying in the Gospel of John is follow me. You can see that what sometimes what comes at the beginning and what comes at the end, yes, if they're connected, is something very important that the Gospel writer is trying to tell us. Yes, so it's not only belief that leads us into becoming a part of God's family, but it's also, yes, we have to go further. We have to follow. We're not sure what it means to follow Jesus. At least we're not sure uh, in a, um, we're not sure unless we kind of dig a little bit, because it's not so obvious. Maybe a little more obvious in Matthew, Mark, Luke, but it's not quite so obvious in this gospel. And people will ask, well, what are the demands of Jesus when it comes to John's gospel? And people will say, well, many Bible students and scholars, they'll say, oh, what Jesus wants, he wants people to love each other. And that's true. This is a gospel. Uh, this is certainly a gospel uh, about love. Okay. But it's also, as I said, it's also about following Jesus and imitating him. So let's read a few, dig, as I said, a little deeper and find where and uh, what Jesus means by imitation. What is actually following? And so we have, a, we have a famous verse. The famous verse is, of course, in one well, of the many famous verses in John's Gospel. Yes, Jesus spoke again, said to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Beautiful verse. People 
quoted all the time. They have it on billboards or posters or bookmarks or they put it in their put it on their refrigerator on a magnet. Some people have it on their coffee cup. But my goodness, what does it mean? I am the light of the world. You won't walk in darkness. And sometimes it worries me that these things are so abstract that they somehow we can't grasp really how practical they are. And so if we understood this verse in its Jewish context, yes, we would understand that the Jewish people at this time, they understood that those who walked in darkness were people who were committing sin or practicing evil. And they even listed those sins. It wasn't sin in the abstract, but it was, you know, something specific. So they would say pride or greed or hardness of heart uh, or immorality or a slowness to, you might say, pursue justice. Yes, these, these are the works of darkness, as the Jewish people would understand And what does it mean? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Amongst other things, yes, again, in its Jewish context, as Jewish people understood and believed that, for example, the Torah was the light of the world. The Torah was a lamp. You can know this from Psalm 119, God's word. Yes, that gives gives light. Or that many teachers of the Torah were called lamps along with key figures of the Bible. Yes, these were lights or lamps, you know, that showed people the way. And here I think Jesus is saying, I am a teacher, and it's my way of living and my teaching. It's my way of following God and understanding the Scripture, living out the Scripture. That is actually the light of the world. We have in our liturgy today, yes, the um, uh, paraphrase from Isaiah by Simeon, where Simeon picks up the baby Jesus and he says, you know, this is not only the glory of Israel, but he's the light to the nations. Meaning what? Meaning that if the nations, yes, follow him, if the nations imitate him, uh, if the Gentiles, you know, will uh, apply his teaching, Yes, uh, his values, yes, his example to, to their lives, to our lives. We will not walk in darkness. What it means to follow Jesus means that we practice the discipline and the discernment of hearing his voice. And last week we talked a lot about the voice of God and listening to the voice of God as a way of having an affirmation or a strengthening of our identity. But let me just read the following to you uh, in the passage about the, the sheep. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they do what? They follow me. Right? So following Jesus isn't just abstract or romantic. Again, it's very practical. Turning away from sin. Yes, applying his teaching, but also listening to his voice listening to him speak through scripture, that guidance and direction that he gives each one of us. And here, by the way, I'd like to point out, he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I thought, wait a minute. What about John 3.16? For God so loved the world 
Yes, that he gave his only begotten son. All that believe in him, all that have this dynamic, trusting, ongoing relationship with him, they will be given eternal life. Haven't we been told always and all times and all places, yes, that it's faith that uh, brings us eternal life or divine life. Yeah, the life that the Father has with the Son and that life that he wants to share with us. Wait. But here it's saying if you follow, you'll also have eternal life. See, John's Gospel doesn't know this argument about faith and works. Maybe it's something that happens a little later or in different places in the church. Yes, but following as well as believing in in a dynamic way leads or brings about life, divine life. Let me just point out one or two more because I think they're, they're important. Because again, it's in, when we follow Jesus that we come really to, a, I think, a deeper understanding of who he is. Yeah, um, as, And we know him as something more than just a title, son of God or king of Israel or even, you know, God himself. Because again, people can say these things and yet it oftentimes doesn't impact, uh, impact our lives. So I think um, a good example would be, as fo- another important example would be as follows. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces seeds The man who loves his life will lose his life. The man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. Yes. Whoever serves me must follow me. But what is the context of this? The context of this is one of dying to self. It's sacrifice. It's restraint. Yes, it might even, in some instances, at least for Jesus, it cost him his life. And yes, so to follow Jesus isn't only about being blessed, and it's not only about being happy, yes, but there are times, yes, again, where there has to be either restraint or um, self-sacrifice of some kind or another, giving up something that we're attached to. And none of this, by the way, is an end in itself. Holiness isn't an end in itself. Or giving things up. You know, Lent is coming, and people will be talking about giving up things. Yes, and that just becomes the goal. I'm going to give up something. No, we give up. We give up in order to to make room for something better. Yes, we give up an attachment or something that we love and competes with the attachment that we have with Jesus, yes, in order, yes, to strengthen our, our loyalty, our faithfulness to something higher and more important. Yes, we lay down our lives, metaphorically speaking, and maybe sometimes even literally, we lay down our lives, right, so that we can gain new life and even uh, transformation. 
So following Jesus entails giving up. It entails sacrifice. Also, would like to just maybe do one more. Following Jesus, and this is the one we, we noted at the beginning, what it means to follow Jesus. It means uh, for Peter, yes, who is being restored after, being, after betraying Jesus, you might say, after being disloyal to, to, to him, Jesus forgives him. And in the process of restoration, he wants it to be practical. And again, not something very abstract. So he says to Peter, follow me. Yes, on two occasions. Yes, he makes it clear that Peter is to follow Jesus. And then Peter starts asking, oh, wait a minute. Well, what's going to happen to him? And what's going to happen to me? And, da, 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 and all of a sudden. And here, I think what it means to follow Jesus, especially from this passage, I think on the surface, it means that caring for each other, because Jesus puts together, follow me with feed my sheep, caring for those in the community, uh, whether practically or pastorally, is part of what it means to follow Jesus. But I think there's something deeper here. Yes, following Jesus, yes, means that we walk with him, yes, into an uncertain future into a future that might be risky, into a future that takes us out of our comfort zone, into a future that we're not sure what's going to happen to us. Yes. But that's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus asks us to do. And that's what it means to follow him. And by following him, we imitate. By following him, we come to a deeper understanding of who he is, not just the Son of God, not just the Messiah, as Nathaniel, but also as the one who gives, who gives life. And this belief in him and this imitation of him really finds uh, a nice summary in many places in John's epistle, the first, the first, epistle, of, uh, the first epistle of John. And it's in that um, epistle that we read the following. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded what does he command us to do? He commands us to follow. Yes, and in this um, uh, passage, it's being uh, connected to the command uh, for love. Yes, those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. Now, we could also say, yes, but imitating Jesus, following him, picking up a cross, laying down our lives, abstaining from sin, from evil, yes, being uh, uncertain about our future, yet still trusting him, that's too hard. And humanly speaking, it is hard. But let's take comfort from these words, shall we? It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God 
by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands, the command to trust, the command to follow, his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he, yes, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do confess that many of us, we uh, have conflicting attachments. We're not, all, we're not always sure who we belong to or who has first priority or first loyalty in our lives. And Lord, we oftentimes imitate the world uh, or imitate those uh, broken things inside of us. Lord, we pray that you will free us. And Lord, we ask that uh, we, we as your family, Lord, will come to an increasing uh, understanding, a deeper understanding that we indeed belong to you. And that to belong to you means that we follow your son, Jesus, in all situations. Help us, Lord, we pray. Give us grace, we ask, in all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King